When was the last time you felt the nervous energy, the, the tingle in your skin where your hair stands up on your arms and you're like, ooh, should I, should I do this or not? Because when you're there, right, it's, it's really the same coin. On one side is fear and discouragement and, and who knows what negative consequences may be out there. But really the other side of the coin is positivity and optimism and potential. And what if I speak up courageously right now, it leads to some great positive impact in the future. When was the last time you felt that? Because today we're going to start with a story. Uh, My guest is Sharla Stevens, and, and she felt that nervous energy. The hair was standing up on her skin, on her arms, and she crafted an email calling out the racism in her school, and she hit send. And the next day, she was terrified, terrified to walk into school. So we'll talk about that up first on this show. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. Establish your legacy with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty as you develop the framework, skills, and knowledge you need to drive change improvement in your learning community. Get started at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Hey, Ruckus Maker. My friends over at SMART have developed a research-backed tool that will show you not only your strengths and weaknesses, but where you should strategically focus your energy in order to drive better results for your students. This tool is called the EdTech Assessment Tool, and you can take it at smarttech.com forward slash profile. Take the EdTech Assessment Tool at smarttech.com forward slash profile. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. Charlotte Stevens and the Ancestors is the owner of Healing Racism in Schools and facilitates anti-racist leadership development for school leaders. She's currently working with an elementary school in SFUSD, and she has over 20 years experience in education and a master's in education from Howard University. You can contact her at healingracisminschools at gmail.com for more information. Welcome to the show, Sharla. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I want to start with an email you sent out. You're a ruckus maker for sure. And you sent an all staff email that, uh, you know, challenged the racism you saw in the school. Can you tell us that story? Yes, I can tell you that story. So I was going through a lot of things in my personal life at the time, and I wasn't necessarily seeking uh, to create ruckus. Ruckus found me. Uh, So I was working at one of the largest high schools in San Jose, and I was teaching AP, Gov, and U.S. history. So I had 11th graders and 12th graders. And as, you know, we're moving through the curriculum, I, I always teach from a multicultural perspective, because that to me is just true American history. Um, I know that we that, that my uh, ancestors built 
the economy and built the infrastructure. I know that this we, we built this on stolen land from the indigenous. So like I tell these stories, right, um, at all of my classes. And as I'm telling these stories um, with my, sharing these stories with my students, I'm seeing how much of this information is new to them as 11th graders and as 12th graders. And I started to inquire, you know, what do you know about your history? This was primarily a Latino, uh, Latinx um, population. So they knew very little of their history. And then um, I, I was the sponsor for the BSU. And so I'm hearing from a lot of my black students, their experiences in their classrooms. I'm seeing how the BSU is being treated as far as the invitations that we're not receiving or the opportunities that we're not being made aware of. And I'm just- Within the school, you're saying, sorry. Within the school. Yeah, within the school. So where other clubs may have been notified about opportunities, our club was not. So just seeing a pattern, behavior of negligence of blind spots that are racist uh, within the school. So then graduation, we had 10 valedictorians and nine of them were white. And one of them was of the Latinx community at a school that is 80% Latinx and 10% white. And there were no questions asked. And that was concerning for me. Like, why, why are we asking questions about, you know, why we have 10 valedictorians, 90% of them are white at a school that is 10% white. And, and one of them is Latin, from the Latinx community where our, our population is 80% Latinx. Um, and there was just so many glaring examples. This was a time when the political rhetoric coming out was that, you know, Mexicans were rapists and, and, and criminals and our, our school population is predominantly Mexican. And I was like, why are, what are we doing to counter these messages? What are we doing to empower our students? So it was a pattern of, of negligence, a pattern of systematic racism, a pattern of blind spots that I had seen that I could not continue to watch. So I, I brought I brought it up several times in meetings. I was very bold. Um, I bought, brought it up to the superintendent. You know, there was like a new or first year teacher training or whatever. There was some type of like, if you're new to the district training, I brought it up there. I brought it up in our all staff meetings. But the response that I felt I got was, we're just going to wait for her to stop talking. And there was no real commitment to actually addressing any of these issues. And I think part of the problem, Daniel, what I see is that there is an expectation of black and brown failure in our schools. We just expect it and we don't question it. And we almost fight, we fight. I feel like there's a, there's almost, there's a resistance when we do see black and brown excellence. We, that's when we question it. We're, we're saying, oh, you must've cheated. You must've done something. So I, I saw a pattern of behaviors that I could no longer ignore. And I, I talked to my students all the time about that you need to find your voice. You need to stand up for what you believe in. You need to speak up for your ancestors and your community. So I couldn't preach that to my students and then not take a stand myself. So when I realized that the school had a problem, like that how, how, how blind they were to the racism that was embedded in the culture of the school, I was emotional because I knew that I was going to have to put myself out there in a way that was scary for me because I'm new to this district and I knew that I'm putting my neck on the line, but also I knew that I have to walk the walk and, um, I'm only here because other people put their neck on the line. That's the only reason why I'm able to be in the position that I am as a, as a Black woman um, in education. So whew, um, I sent an email out, I sent an all-staff email out, and I want to say it was about 200 people, and it was a Thursday night. And um, I drafted the things students had told me. You know, I, I talked about the valedictorian situation. I talked about how we promote sports, but we don't talk about, you know, uh, Latinx History Month. We don't, we're not countering these messages that are, that, are coming out that are really detrimental to the, the well-being of our, 
of our students. We don't question things. We, you know, students are saying that they feel devalued and, and their history is not being told in our classrooms. Like, so I, I reported all of this and held us accountable, you know, and then I attached an article that was like, American teachers don't believe in black and brown students. And I was like, oh, but that's not us, right? Like it's, it's all the other teachers, but it's not us, right? Like let's, we need to look at what, what's going on. So the, the subject line was, you know, who's ready to talk about this? Who's ready to, to have a conversation? Because we keep throwing up, you know, what we call the opportunity gap, which I'm sorry, the achievement gap, which I call the opportunity gap. And a lot of other people call it the opportunity gap, but we throw up these charts and we see the reading levels of our black students and our, and our brown students, but we, we never put that in historical context. And so it just looks like there's a deficit, they're deficient. They just, we, we just can't do it. These, these kids just can't do it and, or, or fill in the blank, right? So, so and, and we need, the thing is that we need to fill in those blanks with, with historical context. Like there's been a history of our communities being disenfranchised. There's been a history of our communities not having the same opportunities. And that is right up to present day. It's not like Brown versus Board solved all of our problems. So yeah, it was, it was very scary. It was a Thursday night. I did not want to come in on Friday morning. I had first period prep. So I, the buzz had already been happening. I'm, wa- I'm walking into it, right? I'm walking into an hour where people had already had an opportunity to kind of talk about me before I'd even shown up. So um, it was terrifying, but also it was invigorating. It was really exciting to be using my position to, to really challenge systems and not just put my head down and do my job. Because I feel like my job out of the professional is to call out systems of injustice. I want education to be the great equalizer, but it's not. I want it to be, mm-hmm. but, but we're not there. So um, yeah, did you want to hear about the consequences or <laughs> the results? Well, I was going to ask, I was going to ask about that next for sure. Definitely want to know about the results if you do it again. But something I heard you say when you basically drafted that email out, you're curious, um, you know, this article you share, hey, these are other schools, not us, right? right? And are we ready to have the conversation? So my mind goes to, did the conversation happen, you know? And, and what change did you see? There was so much resistance. I mean, there was, what I saw was there's a reason why these conversations aren't happening. I saw the level of resistance and it first came from, I think it, it was strategic and I think that they came from, a, from people of color who bought into the system initially. And mm. that was really disappointing, but that also makes sense because I feel like in order for you to work at that school, you have to be a certain type of person because that school is going to challenge, challenge people like me who are going to call out these systems. So that was really hard to deal with. I had a lot of teachers who responded directly to me. Eventually the principal was like, you know, let's have a, a meeting. It was a really like last minute meeting. It was during lunch, but I got to clarify that like, I know y'all want to, y'all want to kill the messenger, but I'm, I'm telling you, this is what the students are telling me. And so, and I, and I clarified some points and uh, then they, whew, I'm getting emotional, Daniel, because it was stressful. Um, it was very stressful and personal. Okay. Um, but um, then they had a meeting with the students. They called in a meeting with the students. It was last minute. I only thought that about 15 students would show up because I didn't even have time to really talk to these different communities. But there were so many students that they had to turn students away, right? So the, the, the room was overflowing with students who were like, I want to address these issues. I want to address issues of inequality. I want to address you know issues of racism or, or feeling psychologically, you know, unsafe, et cetera. So Native American students said, why can't we wear our headdresses during graduation? 
some binary students said we would like bathrooms where we can feel safe to go to use the bathroom at school. Um, we had Middle Eastern students saying that we never learned anything about our history outside of the context of, of terrorism or, or other stereotypes. We had uh, Black students saying that we feel discriminated against and when we never see ourselves in the curriculum. Women were speaking out. So it was just, that part was so beautiful, was like to see students take agency and advocate on their own behalf and to speak on their own behalf. So that was great. What wasn't great was the way the administration used, especially staff of color, to dominate the the conversation and to shut students down. So one staff of color in particular said, you know, yes, as black and brown students, you have to work harder, right? But, But never explains again, why? And that's my thing is like, we have to put these things in context. The reason why is because there's a, there's a system of white supremacy working against you. And if we don't speak to that, it just feels like I'm just deficient. There's something wrong with me. I can't do it. I have to work harder because there's something wrong with me. And so that's the disconnect for me. That's where I feel like we don't tell the whole story. So they tried to shut the students down, but the students ended up organizing. I I connected them with some organizers from my former college, Danza College, Levy Danza, and they empowered them. They gave them the skills because my thing is, and, and as you know, right, I'm not trying to be the, the great Black hope for the school. I'm not trying, I don't want you to follow me. I want you to learn how to advocate and be a leader for yourself, right? I want you to learn as a student how to be empowered yourself and learn how to take care of this. So they learned the skills and they learned, you know, how to um, navigate the system. And two of them, two Latina they went on to the board and they were able to get uh, $24,000 in funding to create a new class. They created a Mexican-American or Mexican history class um, taught by a Mexican-American person. So the, the only other class they had that was like an ethnic studies class was a, a, Lat, a Latinx or a literature class um, that was taught by a, a white guy who was great. He's woke and all of that. And that's great. But it's not the same as seeing your own people. So they got to get a history class taught by um, a Mexican and American professor. And that was awesome. And then they uh, secured funding for anti-racist training for the staff. Now, as far as I know, the staff, the administration never followed up on that, but that's amazing. That's amazing um, that they were able to do that. And for them to see the full process of you speak out, you know, you get together, it's all of you together, you know, speaking about your different issues, you follow through, you go to the board, you, you know, you figure out what the steps are. And, and what that shows me too, is that if students can do that, then certainly leaders can do that, right? Certainly school leaders can do that. Um, that same type of research and just follow through. So that was amazing. I didn't even know the students followed through with it. Like I just kind of let it go because I had to take care of my own psychological, um, how like well-being, and just, that was, it was a lot of ruckus and it definitely, um, <laughs> it was, it was definitely not easy, but it was also when you do something like that, you witness your own power and you see what's possible and what you can do. And that is incredible. And it's, it's worth it. Well, I appreciate you uh, being vulnerable and authentic and, and sharing your story on the show. I know that's, it can be tough sometimes. In what you're talking about, you know, that, that, that feeling, that nervous energy, that tingling almost, you know, one or two things can happen. It's either going to be this terrible experience that we've told ourselves in our mind, right? What I found is like, whatever the results of some action I think is going to happen is, I normally, the negative side of it is normally much worse in my mind than in sure. reality, you know? But that fear, that fear holds us back. So I'm glad that you left, you know, and that you uh, found the courage to, to speak up 
because uh, it's the same coin, right? So there's the fear and the disappointment and all the repercussions on one side, or what happens if you do take the action, the courageous action, and the positive results happen and the excitement, like you said, and the fulfillment and satisfaction or uh, the self-knowledge of seeing how much power you did have with your voice, right? And your actions, like what a gift. So uh, that's pretty cool that you're able to, to push through that. You sort of highlighted, you know, uh, adults being able to do the research and that kind of thing. So it's definitely a, a question I'd love to ask you is, what would you say, right? Because the ruckus maker listening right now, she's a leader of a school. And so if this, this leader is ready to talk and take on racism, right? The elephant in the room. Uh, what, what are some steps that, that they might take? to be successful? So you definitely, that's such a, it's a complicated question. So on one hand, you want to hire a professional. You want to hire a professional because, I mean, to be quite honest, um, this is not always popular work, right? These are not always conversations that people want to have, but they they need to have them. And uh, when you are part of the system, a lot of times you'll feel muzzled or limited as to what you can say or what you can do. And so when you hire a professional, they're able to say the things that you may not feel comfortable saying or may not even um, have the, the the knowledge, right? You can't even point out what's happening. And I think that for a lot of our school leaders, especially if they're white, especially if they're white male, you're just not used, you can't see it. You just can't, you can't see how much of the school norms are based in white middle-class culture. And um, you can't see how the expectations, so for example, just telling our kids to sit down and be quiet and listen to us. It's just, that's not black culture. And it's not, um, it's not African culture. It's not who we are. And so when, when you ask us to show up fully expressed, that, that's in direct contradiction to school culture and school norms. And so a lot of times you can't see that without a professional pointing that out. And, and I would, I would also point out, you know, a professional, a, a black professional, uh, somebody who's indigenous, somebody from the bottom of our socioeconomic status. And the reason why I say that is because when you're at the bottom, when you look, you're looking up, you can see everybody's dirty draws. Like you can see everything, right? It's, there's, it's not, it's not filtered. It's not polished. You can see all of it. And so I was the little black girl, the brilliant little black girl in the classroom who was ignored. I was the brilliant little black girl in the classroom who didn't want to come to your class because your classroom was a hostile environment for me. So, and, and you talked, we talked about this, you know, off, off the podcast, but traditions, traditionally things are racist. Traditionally things are sexist. Traditionally things are, um, are binary. Traditionally things are homophobic. They're transphobic. So we cannot continue to do things traditionally. And so that's why we need to hear from a lot of these voices that we don't normally hear from. So I would say hire a professional. And then the other part is you need to have a budget. Like you can't just expect people to, to create significant systematic change within your school if you're not willing to commit to it financially. You know, we, 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 I, schools will, will invest in all kinds of programs, right? Um, achieve 3000 and, um, and, um, all kinds of programs that we will, will, will put money into that, you know, are supposed to promise us all kinds of results. But a lot of times we don't want to put a budget um, when it comes to doing real work with anti-racist training. So that's the other part. And then you have to commit. This is not a one time, uh, you, you hit it one time and you're done, right? We know that the, the it's, 
white supremacy is systematic. It's baked in. It is constantly at work. So we must be constantly at work and lives are at risk. So we can't just think that because we read one book or went to one training or because we voted for Biden or because we, uh, you know, we're liberals or whatever, whatever it is that we're done. I don't care how many black friends you have. I don't care how many black kids you have. Like the work continues and I'm, I'm black and the work continues for me. So we have to commit. And then the last thing I'll say is this, is that when you're truly committed to this work, you will find ways to do it regardless of the resistance. Because doing this work, there will be a ton of resistance. I mean, had Trump won, he would have kept the executive order in place that was saying that, you know, if you want to do anti-racism work in schools, we're going to limit your federal funding, right? That's resistance, right? Uh, schools are broke. They, they want their money. So we've always, um, and that's why I say, you know, hire some of these people from these voices that you don't normally talk to, when it comes to being Black and Indigenous and other marginalized communities, we've always had to exist in resistance. I've always had to thrive in resistance. So we know how to do the work anyway. I've done a lot of work as a guest teacher. I've done a lot of work as a guest teacher to explore and research other schools and to put my skills to practice. Because to do this work with a where you have relationships, right? Where you have a classroom that you already have relationships with. To do it where you have relationships with the teachers or the staff, that's one thing. But to just walk into an environment where you don't have those relationships, you, you don't know the school culture, you don't know the students, but you're able to connect with them anyway and still infuse a multicultural curriculum, no matter what the discipline is. You know, maybe you just learn what you're teaching moments before, but still being able to implement that. I wanted to be able to show teachers that it can be that easy, right? It doesn't have to be like, reinventing the wheel. You don't have to do it. I definitely want them to commit to a deeper level, but also if you're serious about the work, there's so much information out there. So quick example, guest teaching, I might be finding out that the morning of that I'm going to be in a math class, right? So maybe it's a high school level math class, middle school level math class. And so a lot of times for STEM within math and science and engineering and um, uh, technology, we, we want to we want they, they want to step back from this conversation. Uh, we want to, when it comes to anti-racism and the curriculum, we want to just make it about literacy and history, right? Like I teach math, this doesn't affect me. And what we don't realize, I mean, our math classes are hostile environments for a lot of our students where they, it doesn't feel collaborative. It doesn't feel safe. It feels very male dominated. You know, the studies show that the males get, get called on more. We can see within the technology fields, the way that it's still male dominated, still mostly white men and, and Asian men. So it's, it's, we're, there's, the message is still there, even while we're not speaking to it. And the thing, the insidiousness about white supremacy is, is like I, I, used to, I joke about the first rule of white supremacy is you don't you don't talk about white supremacy, right? Like, and even as you don't speak about it, it's still working in the background. So, as a black woman and or black girl at the time in a math class, I know that people don't expect me to be good at math. I, I know that by the very few examples I've seen of people saying, oh, look at this black woman who's, who's great at math or great at technology or great at science. Like, I know that. I know that I don't see a lot of women in, in, in math. So this is already playing on me. Um, and then all the subtle things that are going on in the classroom, et cetera. So anyway, so what I did is before this math class, I found a, a quick video on YouTube, right? I looked up like multicultural perspectives of math or something like that. And it was a video that showed all the, how math has come from all these different ethnic groups, right? We got fractions from the Egyptians and then the abacus from the Chinese and the calendar from the, from the Aztecans. I showed this video to, to, the, to the students, right? And so they could see that like, you, this, this is you. This isn't just some random white guy that, you know, that invented all of these things. This is you, you, you can do this. Like you, this is a part of you. Another assignment I came up with on the fly was, because everybody has their cell phones, right? 
And again, this was a high school class, but it was, I want you to find somebody in STEM who's invented, who's, done, who's created some invention that you think is interesting, who looks like you from your ethnic group, right? And then report on that. And so they're, they're researching and they're like, they're, you can hear the excitement, the curiosity and the, oh my God, we and me made this. And somebody made like a wheelchair that you can power with, I think like your minds that will move for you. Like we know that uh, there was this Mexican man who created the Acceler, the, the Acceler Love where you can, when you're doing sign language, right? If I was signing right now and you didn't understand what I was saying, I could put on this club as I'm signing, it will tell you what I'm saying, right? That's, that's dope, right? Like people don't know these things. So when these students, like it's, it's so empowering when, they're, when they're, they're excited about what they're learning. They're curious about what they're learning. They're seeing themselves. And they're like, I could do this, right? This could be me. And so then when we go into the lesson, they're, they're coming from a place of I'm empowered rather than I have a deficit. There's something wrong with me. I can't do this, right? And we know that when students are learning from a place of joy, we know that, that all the, the, the areas of learning in your brain light up. We know that things are, are retained. It's, it's that, that more learning happens when you're coming from a place of joy than a place of, of neutrality or a place of, you know, with a lot of kids where they feel like this is a hostile environment, right? So... You're talking about safety there and uh, belonging and connection. And these are all important components to building a, a powerful classroom. So, Charlotte, I'm really enjoying our conversation. Uh, we're going to pause here just for a second for a message from our sponsors. When we get back, I'd like to ask you a little bit more about seeing our students. Learn the frameworks, skills, and knowledge you need to drive change improvement in your learning community with Harvard's Online Certificate in School Management and Leadership, a joint collaboration between the Harvard Graduate School of Education and Harvard Business School. Connect and collaborate with fellow school leaders as you address your problems of practice in our online professional development program. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Smart has an incredible research-backed tool that allows you as a leader to self-assess your capabilities at the school level or broader to help you with planning and prioritizing. Discover your strengths and best area of focus across five different modules, including leadership and remote learning. The tool inspires collaboration with your colleagues and provides massive value whether you complete one or all five of the modules. You'll get a personalized report that shows where you stack up against other ruckus makers and map some areas of focus that will have the greatest impact for you. Take 10 minutes and get started with this EdTech assessment tool today. I suggest beginning with the strategic leadership module. Check it out at smarttech.com forward slash profile. That's smarttech.com forward slash profile. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. 
All right. And we're back with Charlotte Stevens. And yeah, I mentioned how I'd love to hear some more about seeing our students. You talked about how you were that little black girl who felt invisible in math class, but you were brilliant. You were great at math and technology and science. So anything else you'd like to add uh, about seeing students from a, a school systemic uh, sort of level before we conclude our conversation today? I think when it comes to seeing our students, we need to see their pain and their experience. I know for a lot of our students of color, a lot of our black students, a lot of our indigenous students, a lot of our brown students, like the racial, the racism, the 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 rise of white supremacy in our our society is really scary. And when we don't speak about it as educators, when we ignore that as though it's not happening or doesn't have an impact on our students, we're not seeing them. And we have to understand that our students are operating under trauma and that we may not be affected. Like we know that most of our, our, our teaching force is, is white middle class. And so there's things that we're not impacted by that our students are impacted by. But part of seeing them is understanding that we can't normalize, you know, white middle classness. Like, and we have to understand that our students are our clients. Like, I feel like there's a, there's a certain arrogance to education um, that doesn't exist in other service oriented fields where we were, you know, in other service oriented fields, we, we really value our customers and we get into the heads of our customers and we meet them where they are instead of expecting our customers to meet us where we are. But as educators, we often don't do the same for our students. So a lot of times that kid acting out, especially that black kid acting out is traumatized and or depressed. And we need to recognize that. I mean, I have an eight, I have an eight year old son, uh, what just recently turned nine and he feels the gravity of knowing that he's getting older and taller and how society is going to view him. So that weighs on him. That affects his ability to, to do well in the classroom. So I think it's important for us to understand what our, our kids are trying to, to navigate and make sense of and for us to do our best to, to speak to it regardless of how uncomfortable we are. Um, because the only wrong way to do this work is not to do it. And, and we need to understand that mistakes will be made and it, it's good for us to be humble about that because people like humility. We like, we don't like perfection. We don't want you to be perfect, right? We can't see ourselves in imperfection. In but when people make mistakes and they're able to, to take ownership of that mistake and then just learn from it, that's how we learn and grow. So yes, mistakes will be made, but we need to see the pain of our students, the trauma of our students, and then also do our best to facilitate opportunities for joy. I believe that if we have more Black joy, we'd have more Black excellence. But too often, we don't create opportunities for our students to feel empowered and to feel joy. So. That's what I would say. Thank you. And if I remember correctly, uh, for the ruckus maker listening, you've created some sort of resource, a, a playbook of sorts. And so can you tell us about what you've made? Yeah, so I have made um, the anti-racist educator playbook, and that is available for the for people who are looking for ways. I want to say I don't want to say easy, but they're easy to understand. They're easy to implement, um, but ways to create change within your school. And that's regardless of whether or not you have support. It's always better if you have support, but there's always things that you can do uh, whether you have support or not to create change in, in your school. And then also I have the anti-racist educator fighting white supremacy in schools Facebook group that I invite educators um, and parents alike to join if you're interested in hearing more and learning more. And then can I share about how, how leaders can work with me? Yeah, of course you can. 
Tell us too where to get the uh, the playbook. The Facebook group will, and all of this will be linked up in the show notes, right? So uh, if people want to join the Facebook group, they can click the link there. But where can people find the playbook? And yeah, how can they get in touch with you? So the playbook will be available to people who are able to email me at healingracisminschools at gmail.com. And that was also the same email that school leaders are going to want to use in order for us to collaborate and create a plan for your school. So what I do is I work with schools and school districts and we create a year-long plan. I have a three-part um, training series for the anti-racist educator. The first part is called Check Yourself. That's about identity, about who you are and what you bring into the classroom. The second part is Check Your Curriculum, so decolonizing the curriculum. And the third part is check your staff and your students. So really thinking about the psychological safety and belonging for staff and students. And then from there, we customize the plan. So for some schools, they want more um, involvement with parents or for some school leaders, maybe they want more hours as far as hours on retainer. It all depends on the needs of the school. But for schools who are interested and serious about doing this work, um, you'd want to contact me at healingracisminschools at gmail.com so that we can see what possibilities we can create for your school. Beautiful. Thank you, Sharla. So if you could put a message on all school marquees around the globe just for a day, what would you put on that marquee? I would put black joy leads to black excellence. So black joy leads to black excellence on all the school marquees. You're building the school from the ground up, Sharla. You're not limited by any resources, your only limitations, your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? Uh, my dream school, oh my God. So it would be a very empowering environment for Black kids. So we would start with the Black National Anthem. There would be no Pledge of Allegiance. There would be examples of people who, Black leaders who have resisted and fought against white supremacy and triumph and, and also uh, Black leaders who have invented things and just been successful. So I would just Black excellence everywhere. Our priorities would be Black joy. So, and that's in direct opposition to the trauma that our kids are experiencing. Uh, but there'd be black joy. There would be, we would be focused on healing the trauma within the community and acknowledging um, that there is trauma and, and that there needs to be healing. So that would be a priority. And then, um, yeah, decolonizing the curriculum, making sure like we're reinventing the curriculum from a perspective that really highlights the contributions of Black and Indigenous people, that highlights that, you know, the, the culture um, and the people that were here before, because often we talk about history and we don't even acknowledge the Indigenous people, that highlights how the triumphs of the Black community and other communities of color have created more democracy, have created the America that we, we pretend that we are, you know, this place where, where there's inclusion for everybody and opportunity for everybody, but really really paying homage to the ancestors that made that possible. So, and then it, it would, it would center the center, it would center student voices. Cause I truly believe that when students, you know, are curious and are intrinsically motivated and see themselves in the curriculum, then, then they will drive their own learning. And we don't have to do as many punitive and disciplinary measures because there's that excitement about learning that we know that is intrinsic within our, within, our, within our students. So the last thing I'll say is that when we don't see Black excellence and Black joy in our schools, we need to ask why. We need to ask why, because that's not, that's not normal. So there you go. That would be my dream school. Brilliant. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? There's always a way to create ruckus. And I just think that um, you just have to be creative about it. 
uh, but there's always an opportunity to create change regardless of, you know, what policies are in place, regardless of who's in office, regardless of their administration or, you know, the principles or regardless of all of it, it can be done. And historically it always has been done. So, and it's so much fun. It's so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Isn't it fun, Daniel? Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm -hmm.